The human mind, body, emotions, and spirit are more powerful than anyone can imagine. And we can learn to use them in new and powerful ways to create the life we've always dreamed of. On our program today, with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon, we'll address who you are, how to come to know what you believe and why, how to accept and love yourself, and how you can make changes that help you create the empowered, happy, successful life you want. Now, here's your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome to the Self-Improvement Show. This is Irene Conlon. We're broadcasting from Fountain Hills, Arizona, and I am so happy to have you with us today. I have a really exciting announcement to start with. On July 14th, we're changing time. We'll broadcast at 12 noon Pacific Daylight Time, which is 3 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. This is my favorite time slot. This is where we started six years ago. We've moved around a little, and now we're back home. So mark your calendars for July 14th. We've got, we're going to have some new music. It's a little softer. I think it's more inviting. And appropriately, the music is named Heart to Heart. And that's where I want this show to be. So mark your calendars, 12 noon, July 14th, and I'll see you there in, in another week or two. It's estimated that approximately 5 million people in the United States and I, you know, I'm not sure about that number, it may be many more, suffer from post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD. It's basically an anxiety disorder that can occur after a person's been through a traumatic event, and these are all of all kinds, you know, such as natural disasters, car crashes, sexual or physical assaults, terrorist attacks, and military combat. And right now in this country, we have all of those going on, and we hear about them Every day, we just don't read about how the person is when the physical injuries are healed. Some injuries linger on for a very long time. Generally, symptoms of PTSD can occur when a person re-experiences the traumatic event or tries to avoid thinking about it or is experiencing high levels of anxiety related to it. Now, some of the most common symptoms include having recurrent nightmares, flashbacks, being physically responsive, such as experiencing a a rapid heart rate or sweating, having a difficult time falling or staying asleep, feeling more irritable or having outbursts of anger, feeling constantly on guard, like dangers lurking around every corner, and so on. There are many more. It's very real, and it's often very debilitating. Traditional therapy includes one-on-one therapy with a psychiatrist, a psychologist, a counselor of some type, support groups, meditation, medications like Zoloft and Paxil, um, and it's sketchy at best, and often the treatment is ineffective. Our guest today has created a new approach called Neurosculpting, and is seeing some remarkable results, and we're going to talk about that today. Lisa Wimberger is the founder of the Neurosculpting Institute. She holds a master's degree in education from the University of Stony Brook, New York, and a foundation certificate in neuroleadership. Her work draws upon her background in medical neuroscience. 
She is the author of New Beliefs, New Brain, Free Yourself from Stress and Fear, and Neurosculpting a Whole Brain Approach to Heal Trauma, Rewrite Limiting Beliefs, and Find Wholeness. As the founder of the Neurosculpting Modality, Lisa runs a private meditation practice in Colorado teaching clients who suffer from stress disorders. And she is a faculty member of Kripalu Yoga and Meditation Center and the Law Enforcement Survival Institute. And that's a really important one. It is my absolute pleasure and delight to welcome Lisa Winberger to the Self-Improvement Show. Lisa, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I'm really excited to have you here. And, you know, for those of you listening, go to the self-improvement blog. The self-improvement blog is a little weird right now. It's undergoing a huge makeover. Um, and the titles, for some reason, are over everybody's faces. But look at the one for today's show. You'll find all the links to her website and her social media there, and you'll see her picture. I really encourage you to do that. Lisa, tell us a little bit about yourself. Who is Lisa Wimberger? Um, I am, that's, that's a tough question. <laughs> I know. Who am I? I'm trying to figure that out this whole lifetime. Um, I am a wife, a mother. I am uh, a CEO of a large business. I am a meditator, a practitioner, a neurosculptor in each and every moment, um, a sister, a daughter, a musician. Those, those are the things I, I am. Those are lovely. Oh. You've developed a dynamic program working with the results of trauma in your own life. I think if people understood your story, they'll know how you came about developing this remarkable program. So why don't we start by having you tell us your story. Now, what happened to you in in your childhood? What did that do to you, and how did you find help? Yeah. Um, I was, uh, as as a child, we all have various responses to fear. Um, We could fight, flee, or freeze, or any combination of those things. That's what all human beings have access to. And some of us have predispositions. Some of us, you know, punch first, ask questions later, and some of us hold our breath and want to get really small and invisible. And and so I was a freeze kind of child. Uh, I liked to, not liked to, I defaulted to that kind of response to any kind of fear. When I was 15 on my birthday, uh, a very unusual accident happened, and a friend of mine and I got hit by lightning. And the lightning came through the side of the house. We were leaning against a metal handle outside on against the garage. The side of the house got hit. The lightning came out the garage door handle and blew us off the garage um, where we were leaning against and basically hit us both at the base of the spine. And... Wow. Um, a bunch of our friends were were there watching, and it was kind of kind of confusing as to what really happened. I didn't quite believe what happened at first. I was, I you know, I I remained conscious as did he, but it was extremely painful. Um, and shortly after that, I started suffering 
my episodes, which I thought I was having fainting spells. They started shortly after the lightning strike. Um, years later, I found out that they were actually uh, seizures, um, exacerbated, uh, I guess, by the lightning strike. The lightning strike exacerbated my freeze response. So as a child predisposed to freeze during stress and fear, that whole nervous system response got literally electrocuted. So my vagus nerve, which is the nerve that helps us adapt in any moment of stress or fear, that's the nerve that signals the freeze response. And that nerve the, um, goes down the length from, from the brain stem all the way down the spine, all the way in women it, it, to the back of the cervix. And so... What the doctor who diagnosed me in my 30s believes happened, he believes that the lightning exacerbated that nervous, uh, that nerve tract and, and heightened my freeze response so that during times of stress and fear, instead of dealing normally in a normal spectrum of freeze or fight or flee, I would go to extreme freeze, which can manifest as in some people, fainting, but in the very, very extreme cases, it can manifest as the play dead option you might witness in an animal who is running from a predator and then suddenly plays dead. This is the same response. So in me, during heightened moments of stress and fear, I would have seizures. uh, And these seizures were not controllable um, at the time. And... uh, that was what was happening to me. I was, I was um, seizing. Although I didn't know I was seizing uh, for at least 15 years, I, was, I thought I was blacking out. But it was extremely difficult to recuperate from. Um, I'd find myself on the floor, unable to move, in, often in a puddle thinking that I had urinated myself, sometimes vomiting, sometimes unable to stand for hours, and really in excruciating pain. Um, and when I got my diagnosis when I was 30, I fortuitously had an episode in a doctor's office. And I woke to him about to inject atropine, which is resuscitative. And he told me my heart stopped. He told me I had a seizure and that I had flatlined and that he was going to resuscitate. And that's when he oh helped me make sense of the 15 years that led up to, to that of helping me understand that I was having seizures that whole time, waking up in a puddle of sweat that my contracted muscles would uh, release during those, those uh, tonic seizures where you, you just go so rigid that you just sweat out all of your energy. So his diagnosis was a tremendous gift to me. Because after we discerned that I was not epileptic through tests, what we then discerned was that this was stress and fear-induced. Something was not wiring correctly to a stress response. And that's where my journey of discovery really started with neuroscience. Did, did no one around you realize that you were seizing? Did they think um, you were fainting? Or what, what did the people around you in say the, was happening? In the beginning, I was fainting because I could recuperate very quickly. Um, but by the time I was 17 or 18, the few people that witnessed it 
had a much harder time having me come to. Um, mostly they were my friends. A lot of times this happened in private, in my bathroom, or um, you know, at home. Sometimes it happened um, during uh, in front of my boyfriend who didn't quite know what to make of it. Um, and then as I got older and they got more severe, they happened in public places where paramedics had to come and resuscitate me and bring me to the hospital. That's not what a teenager or even a young 20 person wants to have happen. And no. that's, um, it, it must have been really frightening to you to wonder if you went out, would something happen? Would you it be was, okay? That was the worst part of it. The absolute worst part was the fear of what's going to happen the moment I lose consciousness because it's not going to be pretty when I wake up. And on that note, we're going to go to break. And when we come back, we're going to talk about what Lisa did and what she learned and what came out of it. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Lisa Winberger, saying stay tuned. We're going to be right back with more of this remarkable story. Build your better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. It's time to access your magic. Tune in each week to Living in the Magic of Possibilities with your host, Glenice Hughes. Our topics cover finances, personal health, business, relationships, mediumship, and so much more. If you want to access all that is possible in your life, listen to Glenice and her expert guests who've turned the impossible into the possible. Living in the Magic of Possibilities is heard live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings of the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our wall. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to The Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Lisa Winberger. She's been telling us about her strike by lightning and how it affected her in her early years. Not until she was 30 did they discover what what was really going on with her. And that led her to an adventure in learning. Um, and I want to talk about that, but let's just, let's define some terms first so everybody knows what we're talking about. You're going to be talking about neuroplasticity. What is neuroplasticity and how is it important to us? Neuroplasticity is the word that science uses um, to define a state of learning. So anytime we are learning something, consciously or even subconsciously, we are 
using neuroplasticity to make that learning become a memory or um, a platform from which we can then uh, hone and advance the next day and the next day and the next day. So neuroplasticity is the neurological processes that happen during moments of learning. So are you saying that learning makes um, an imprint or a change in your brain? Absolutely, learning does that. So the brain literally changes its structure and function in each and every moment based on what we are paying attention to, what we're learning, and what we're then storing in our memory. And it does so because it's made up of brain cells that connect to each other. Their connections can grow in volume, reach, and uh, density during heightened states of learning. They can diminish. So literally the volume, the connections are all changing in each and every moment. So the brain is constantly molding itself, which is why it's considered to be plastic. Not plastic like a synthetic material, but plastic in that it molds itself new in each and every moment. So we are neuroplastic. That's an exciting concept because some of us grew up being told that nerve cells did not regenerate, that they could not heal. And you're telling me there's all kinds of hope because indeed they do. Yeah, it was really in the last 30-ish years or so where neuroplasticity became um, empirically proven against the old brain model, which was you're born with what you're born with. It's fixed. And if that stuff gets damaged, you just deal with those deficits. Yep, and a lot of people, I think, still believe that. Um, I, I hope they're catching on. I, I really do, mm-hmm. because it makes all the difference. You started um, a program called Neurosculpting. Give us a little history. Tell us what Neurosculpting is, and then let's go back and pick you up at 30 when you learned what it was you had and bring us through your process of developing this program. Okay. So neurosculpting is a five-step meditation process that has a method to the madness. Um, It's got steps that sort of feed the brain gently into the states we want it to be in for it to either help us break an old pattern or help us and train to a new pattern. So it's a brain primer process, really. Um, And where it came from was my seizure diagnosis. So I had been meditating my whole life um, and loving it, but none of my meditative practice was making sense of what my nervous system was doing during heightened states of stress and fear. In fact, I didn't even know I was that sensitive. So I would meditate, and when I would have these seizures, um, even though I didn't know they were seizures at the time, and I'd take days to recuperate, I would often meditate in the recuperation, trying to figure out what happened. I got no answers. Then I got my diagnosis. The doctor, the doctors determined I was not epileptic. My heart monitors, my brain scans all came back as she's not epileptic. So therefore, they gave me the diagnosis as having extreme vasovagal syncope, which is a fancy word for extreme fainting spells. Although I was not fainting, I was seizing. 
So when I started researching this, they told me I was the extreme case, where most people who have a sensitive vagus nerve get a little woozy and they, they might even just have their fainting moment for a couple seconds. I'm, I was having actual seizures. And so when I started thinking about this diagnosis, I said, I need to understand what my vagus nerve is doing. And I need to understand how it's relating to stress and fear in a way that meditation has never helped. So let me discover what my vagus nerve does to my body and why is it going to such extremes. Yes, I was hit by lightning, but but somehow stress and fear plays into this and I need to get a handle on it. So that's when I started studying the work of Dr. Stephen Porges, who wrote the polyvagal theory, um, his his explanation of the uh, dual purpose of the vagus nerve made sense of my entire life. And so he started giving me aha moments. Then I started studying um, neuroscience to understand what does one brain do to entrain to deep-seated stress and fear and what can a brain do to get out of that same habitual behavior. And with with the work of all this cutting-edge you know, neuroscience by these amazing doctors, what I discovered was, okay, the situation I'm in is manageable if I can manage the um, triggers. And the triggers are stress and fear. But I have to know what my body's doing in response to those triggers so I could go in the back door and entrain to a different response. So I needed to know how to tease the brain into compliance, into a primed and open space where I could actually create a new response. And I knew this was not going to be easy. So I played with what neuroscience was giving me. I played with a process and I did this for years. So I would try to get myself, my vagus nerve nice and calm. I would get my the front of my brain into a heightened focused attention and then I would start to tell myself a new story. I would start to literally rehearse a new behavior script. And that script for me was I would evoke in my mind a memory of the seizure halo and what it felt like and I would rehearse in my meditation fighting it instead of seizing around it. So what I was literally doing was rehearsing, moving out of freeze and into fight. And I did this while I was healthy. I did this in meditation. I did this often. And I did it when my brain was primed using the steps that I had learned from neuroscience to prime my brain for heightened plasticity. And what ended up happening was I rehearsed the script so much and so well that then finally when a seizure halo hit me, my default response moved from seize to fight. And in the moment where I was about to seize, after decades of having seizures, suddenly that new rehearsed script kicked in and I fought. And what it looked like was a seizure halo coming, a split second of uh uh-oh, which is all you get, And then all of a sudden, I started punching and screaming and kicking and breaking things completely out of control. But the the key thing here was 
my response, autonomic response, had changed. And I was now fighting instead of freezing. And what ended up happening was that I interrupted my first seizure ever. And at that moment where I chose a new response, no, it wasn't graceful. No, it was not pretty. No, it wasn't spiritual or beautiful or noble. It was ugly, but it was victorious because I I had literally a different autonomic response to a seizure onset and the seizure didn't happen. And I ended up shaking uncontrollably for about eight hours, but conscious. And then the pattern was broken. And then the next time a seizure halo hit, it disappeared like, like mist. And I didn't even have to fight. It just came and disappeared. And I have not seized since. Um, and so what I learned from that experience was my brain is willing to learn anything if I talk to it in a way that appeals to the processes of learning. And you need to know a little bit about your brain to do that. It's just like a magic language that's all there. And science has told us how to do that. So it was at that moment where I interrupted my seizures that I started taking this out to trauma organizations, to first responders, really. And that was back in 2007. I have a couple of just little cleanup questions. Mm -hmm. One, what happened to the person who was hit with you? Was he okay? Did he not have any of these kind of um, after effects? I didn't talk to, he was a summer friend on a, on, in a vacation area, and I didn't talk to him since then, but when I was writing my first book, New Beliefs, New Brain, I wanted to reach out to him to find out. And I found a sibling of his through social media, and they got me in contact with him, and he said no, he had no repercussions that he knows of from that event and he was standing right next to me. Right next to you. Right next to me. So, you know, we're, we're all so different you know, uh-huh. that we, we react in totally different ways. And my other thought was, uh, I wonder what would have happened or, or what, what the results would have be, been if you hadn't been meditating regularly. You know, I, I think that that had to have a big part in your ability to to work with this well it gave me the faith the belief and the framework it gave me the container Um, meditation is the container for all of the neuroplastic work we do so without that neurosculpting would not be here but it was the science that articulated what was in that container so meditation is the container that holds it and neurosculpting is the language we use inside of that container so, in effect, you have married meditation or a spiritual, more spiritual practice, well, it is a spiritual practice, with science. Absolutely. And that, to me, is just such a tremendous, tremendous breakthrough. I want to talk more about the five-step process, how you developed it, and what the response has been after the break. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Lisa Wimberger, saying stay tuned. We're going to be back with much, much more. We're on Facebook along with some of the greatest minds of the world, and that includes you. Visit us on Facebook at Voice America Empowerment. 
Do you have complete control over your thoughts and your life? It seems like we do, but there are always outside forces that are wreaking havoc with that control. How do we get our thoughts back on track, so to speak? Listen for help. My thoughts are holding me hostage with Dr. Jeffrey Fannin. When you command the power of thought, you can achieve or have whatever you want. Make the laws of the universe work for you. Tune in every Friday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. When is the last time you saw sparkles of life in your day? Each day holds a treasure, the extra in the ordinary. It is too easy to miss them because they're familiar and we take them for granted. If you want to add sparkle to your day, listen to Mighty Gems, spotlighting everyday jewels with Dee Lee. She offers a new way to view the world and to discover your own Mighty Gems in daily life. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are tuned in to The Self-Improvement Show with your host, Dr. Irene Conlon. Got a question for Irene or her guests? Call into our live show at 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. Connect with Irene via email. Our address is theselfimprovementblog at gmail.com. Now, let's get back to The Self-Improvement Show. Here again is Dr. Irene Conlon. Welcome back to The Self-Improvement Show. Our guest today is Lisa Winberger. She has a remarkable story, and she's developed a remarkable program called Neurosculpting. Lisa, I imagine you didn't start out with the thought in mind, hmm, I think I'll start a new program and call it Neurosculpting. Mm-hmm. Now, my guess is that it evolved over a period of time. Now, tell it, us how yeah. you knew you had something that could help other people and how you went about developing it. Who did you work with first? Those kind of things. Yeah, well, you know, I kept my seizures quiet for most people didn't know I had seizures except for the people that would, you know, witness them. I had to come clean when they started happening, you know, in, in very public places and I'd end up, you know, being in an ambulance, you know, eventually people found out, but I just, I did not talk about it. Um, the moment I interrupted my first seizure, I could not stop talking about it. I just, it's like when suddenly you feel like, oh, I just got an answer. I just got an answer. And you just want to share it with everybody. So I started telling everybody I knew, oh, oh my God, this this helped me. And here's what it did for me. And I knew I was supposed to, I finally had the courage to talk about what was happening to me. And I suddenly had clarity. I didn't know what it was going to look like or how it was going to manifest. But my clarity was, I'm supposed to help people who have been closeted around this type of trauma because I can help. So I just knew I needed to go to high trauma organizations. And I was helping at the time uh, my nephew deal with the vicarious trauma of his father being a law enforcement uh, 
you know, staff member personnel in New York. And, and he was dealing with a lot of stress and trauma. And my cousin asked me if I could help him meditate through it. And he was very young. He was a teenager at the time. And I thought to myself, well, if I could help the father, I wouldn't have to help the son. And that's where the first light bulb went off. I said, oh, wait, maybe I could help officers. I've seen what it's done in my own family for them not to have amazing stress management techniques. And this technique is so powerful. Not only did it change my response to seizures, but it could change anybody's response to stress um, in, in the entire spectrum. So I approached uh, a police agency here. I approached the Denver police agency after doing quite a bit of research and coming up with a program. And I uh, pitched it to them as a pilot program. And I said, I believe I have something that could help high trauma response. Uh, Let me have 30 officers for a day and I won't charge you for it. And you can evaluate it. And if you find it valuable, then we can discuss it. And that's exactly what happened. The results were astounding. I was teaching these basic stress identification techniques. I was teaching basic self-directed neuroplasticity and basic meditations to redirect what your body does with stress patterns. And by the end of that workshop, I had officers crying in the hallway saying, where has this been when my life was falling apart? Where, where have these tools been? And the feedback was so overwhelming that uh, I became a consultant for a few sessions at that agency. And then I, it just, that became my mission. The mission told me I had no strategy around, I want to do this when I grow up. It was oh my God, look at the lives I just affected. Look at the way people just grabbed and cultivated hope for the maybe the first time. This is what I need to do. So I went from agency to agency and suddenly I became the uh, consultant who would go into police agencies and help them uh, prepare for dealing with the stress load that they were asked to deal with. And from there, um, I you know, started having a private practice of high trauma clients coming to learn this. And then I said, well, let me take it out to the public because it's not just for officers, it's for everybody. And so my, I started doing workshops in various places. And then those workshops grew and people said, well, now we want to learn how to share this with others. And so that's really where the Institute came from. It came from the work guiding me. It did not come from a strategy, an agenda, a plan. It came from, what am I supposed to do here on this planet? I am supposed to share these tools, and I don't know what it looks like, but I'm going to do that, and it's going to tell me what it's supposed to look like. And that's how it's unfolded. And, of course, it's unfolded over a decade. It didn't happen overnight. So I've been sharing this with the world since 2007, long before I called it neurosculpting. I was calling it various things. I was calling it emotional survival techniques. I was calling it meditation. And eventually someone came to me and she said, you're not teaching meditation. You're teaching something quite different. And you need to call it something different so people know and want to come. And so I said, oh, okay, maybe I should come up with a name for this. And that's where the name came from in 2011. I had to name what it was I was doing and I named it neurosculpting and that's really how it evolved 
Now, you make this statement on your website, neurosculpting is the fusion of brain science and mindfulness, so even the most insidious mental beliefs can be rewritten. Talk a little bit about insidious mental beliefs, because I think for most of us, we have some of those lurking. Now, what are insidious beliefs? These are the beliefs that sometimes we can articulate, but maybe we can't even articulate because they are so woven into the fabric of who we are. Things like, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable, um, I you know, don't deserve, I can't bond, I'm a failure, things that might not be you know, easily articulated, but that have framed our entire experience in life. And some of this comes from our perception of the world. Some of this comes from the way we were raised. Some of this comes from the culture we were raised in. Uh, There's all sorts of things that build these belief systems for us. But inevitably, we all have ones that get in the way of our growth our grace, and our health. And that is undeniable. So with neurosculpting, um, we give you tools to address nameable or unnameable belief systems that get in the way of growth, grace, and your health. Um, I'm, I'm thinking of things like weight loss for people who simply can't lose weight no matter what they do they they eat next to nothing they've totally messed up their metabolism and continue to reinforce that they have and they can't go forward i'm thinking about people with autoimmune diseases you know and, and all of these kinds of things that no, don't necessarily have trauma associated with them but it seems that this would help any of these it would because even though the onset might not have come from a traumatic experience, our relationship to that diagnosis can eventually create a whole other story that keeps us contracted. So for instance, let's say someone is diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. That didn't come from a traumatic episode, maybe it came from lifestyle choices or food or whatever, but now they've got a diagnosis. Well, now their relationship to that, if it's a positive, then we don't have to worry about it. But if their relationship to that diagnosis now becomes, I'm sick, I can't, I'm always a health risk, whatever those beliefs we start to formulate around that new state of being, if those beliefs instigate more contraction, fear, or stress, then those beliefs will inflame that disease. So neurosculpting can absolutely support in that in that we help people relate differently to their current state of being, even if it didn't come from trauma. You can shave off the contraction response to any thing and just simply um, rewrite your relationship to it And in that case, um, move ourselves out of a contracted response 
and into expansion. When, when, and, and you as a healthcare practitioner understand this well. When your body is in sympathetic arousal, meaning it's in a contracted, aroused state of being, it is not supporting basic health foundation like digestion, nutrient absorption, proper use of blood sugar, low-grade levels of inflammation. So if, you, if you're diagnosed with a disease that might be genetic or onset in your life for some reason, outside of trauma, you still have to bring yourself out of an aroused state and into a parasympathetic expansive state to bring down all of the factors that would inflame that disease. You need to absorb your nutrients more than ever. You need to have digestion optimized. You need the um, inflammation markers in your blood to drop significantly. You need long, slow burning use of your blood sugar so that any disease in the body can become maybe more manageable, maybe even go away. So, It's not just about the trauma. It's about our relationship to the trauma or our relationship to the day-to-day stress or to the disease or to the person. It's about our relational stories to that because the nervous system is responding off the relational stories. The trauma might have happened 30 years ago, but the nervous system is not responding to the event. It's responding to our relationship to the event. And that's what neurosculpting does. You know, I think of the doctors who tell somebody, you know, you better prepare because you only have two months to live and the person will die two months to the day. Yes. Because they bought in and prepared to die. Well, and and this, actually, uh, this actually happened to my mother who she was diagnosed out of the blue um, back in 2013. She was diagnosed in mid-September and she was told three to six months to live. And had she bought into that, she might have gone to those dates, but she actually did the opposite. She looked at me and she said, how much time do I have? And I said, that's not for me to say. This is your journey. Yeah, how much time do you want? (laughs) I said, this is your journey. And you know what she said? She looked at every single one in the family. She looked at me and she said, okay, well then not even that long. She wanted to get it over with. Oh. And she passed in three weeks. Oh. And she was in absolute control over that process. She said, okay, I'm not going to linger that long. I'm going to go faster. And she did. And, it, it, I mean, it was the most expansive and, and heartbreaking and mind-blowing experience. But she sped everything up in her body based on her time frame. Just as a doctor giving you a diagnosis gives you an end date and you start believing that, it will be your end date. You believe it's going to be earlier, it's going to be earlier. You believe that it's not going to be that fast, you could prolong it. I mean, this is not, you know, written in stone for everybody, but it certainly was for her. Well, that's how powerful your mind is. You know, let's, let's get into some really practical um, things here. You say that this is something you can do for yourself, and I know you have uh, an online program. You know, h- how would I? Let's say I really am all stressed out, which sometimes I am. Maybe I need your program. 
<laughs> you know, how would I learn to do this? Okay. You know, would I need a coach? Do I need somebody to help me with it? How do, how do I do it? You can do it all on your own. So you can go to the website and you can go to the learning store. And in the learning store, we have all sorts of things. We have a free one-hour class on video where you can get some basics and practice some meditation. We have audio download classes. We have a foundational neurosculpting class. It's a three-hour audio download. You put it on your laptop or your phone. You listen to it, and I guide you through everything. If you want to work with a practitioner, we have plenty, and we can set you up with someone to work with in one-on-one sessions. And if you want a deep dive, you want to not just understand the basics, but you want to understand a lot more about the neurology, a lot more about the um, meditation process, and a lot more hands-on guided work, then you would take our online immersion warrior one and that's all self-paced you know you get your videos you get your transcripts you get your click and play audio guided meditations you get your download meditations and literally you can do this on your own but you can also tune in live stream to the classes I teach live and have real-time experience in the classroom with me Um, or even come in person to our retreats we have one coming up in New Mexico in September or come visit Denver and come in person. How do people find you? Um, they find me at neurosculptinginstitute.com. And they find me on Facebook, Neurosculpting Institute, on Twitter. Uh, our YouTube channel under Lisa Wimberger has a ton of videos. In fact, it's got amazing videos of, of our real-time work with spinal cord injury. We've... we've um, documented one particular client case study and that's fascinating and we have um, discussions on the YouTube channel and we have free content. So anybody can do this. So the veterans coming back from wherever they are all over the world, if they've been in some kind of attack or whatever that has caused them to have, you know, all of these problems, they can do this on their own. I, I guess that's where my heart is for this, is these people who, and, and the firemen, these people who are being flooded and their homes are wrecked and they, you know, their loved ones have been washed down the f- floodwaters. You know, I, I think you, of all of them. You know, I, and that's why I made, I did a, a one-hour mini-class for first responders, that's the free class. I give that to everybody and anybody. I send that to police agencies. I send it everywhere because it's specifically geared to first responders. But here's the here's what we're running into. Those people don't do it themselves because they're so entrenched that it might even be impossible to believe there's help out there. So what I find is that with veterans who suffer strong PTSD, yes, you can do all of it on your own with our resources. But in those cases, I actually want to, I want those people real time. I want to have those clients over Skype. I want to see their faces. I want to, everyone needs a buddy system. Those who are most traumatized need a very strong buddy system. And so unfortunately, the people who need it most often don't do it on their own. It's just 
the, it's too much. It's too much. And the potential of what it unravels is too much for them to even fathom. So um, the precise audience that these tools are geared for are not the ones who use them on their own. They need the facilitators. They need. Now, I think of how the, the veterans coming back from Iraq and um, all of the places that they are, now, if we could get this into veterans' hospitals um, where they could be reached and a therapist could say, hey, I know this works, I've seen it, you know, let's, let's hook you up and see what, what happens for you. I, I just, you know, there would be some hope then. Well, that's what it generates. You know, it generates hope. I mean, I have so many clients, first responder clients, who have been at the edge, some of them on suicide watch some of them diagnosed with PTSD some of them out on disability some of them just watching their lives crumble and the consistent thing this this offers them is hope and that's invaluable that becomes their fuel and then because these techniques are not a pill they take time and repetition hope is what gets them the courage to repeat it enough for them to see the lasting results you must have some success stories to tell. Can you reach in and, and give us a couple? Yes. I, I'm going to, well, a couple, yes, but I'm going to tell you my favorite in a minute. Okay. So um, I have a couple officers who, one of them was dealing with chronic episodes of like shingles and hives. Um, she was going through quite a lot of internal affairs, stress, and uh, threats, death threats, and she was really coming unhinged. And we worked together for nine months. And um, what ended up happening was that she got she got rid of all of the chronic inflammation that was putting her into the emergency room over and over again. And she, you know, became much more comfortable in her role in the agency, uh, whereas before she was she was not on good terms with her job and her role. Um, but my favorite, favorite story, I mean, I've worked with addicts, I've worked with those with OCD and depression and all of that, but my favorite story is Heather. And I encourage you to go to my YouTube channel to meet Heather because she's the case study that has, she's allowed me to film everything. Heather is a quadriplegic who was um, thrown from a horse when she was 20 and she crushed C3, which is way up at the top of the spine. Oh, yeah. And um, so... That usually if it's severed, you're a quadriplegic. If it's crushed, well, you're mostly a quad and maybe there's hope, but probably not. She was in that realm. So when I met her a couple of years ago, she is in a wheelchair. She can't move her legs. She can't move her hands. They're balled up into fists and she can move her arms and she can breathe on her own. Um, and her arm movement came through 10 years of therapy. So I knew this girl had willpower because she's been going to therapy for that long. And so we started working on her stress, and then we started working on her story, her story around being thrown from the horse. And I said to her, what position were your hands in when you were thrown from the horse? And she looked at her hands balled up in fists, and she said, just like this, gripping the reins. So we did some neurosculpting around rewriting that story, having her imagine letting go of the reins in present time. And we had her 
identify her motor maps in her mind. And we had her instigate a dialogue between the motor maps and her actual thumbs and index finger. And in one 20-minute meditation where we worked on those two things, she came out of it and moved both thumbs for the first time in 10 years. And it's caught on video, and it's on my YouTube channel. And since then, her plasticity, when we focus it on a dialogue between her brain and her fingers, she can move her fingers. And there's three parts to that series. And where we're at now with her is she can twist on and off bottle caps. She can hold her phone, and she can text with her index finger. And this is what's possible. Her story, not only physically was that I'm injured, but mentally became, I'll be injured forever. And her story was, I'm stuck in that moment in time. And there's no progress until that moment in time, that relationship is healed and resolved And then we can move forward. So that's what we did. And in moving forward, we teased activity into her motor cortex. We reminded her body of the dialogue that part of the brain can have with limbs. And she's moving her fingers. That's amazing. I mean, that's one of these kind of stories that brings you to tears. I really encourage everyone to meet her. She's the most beautiful person I've ever met. You will fall in love with her, and you will want to know and support Heather if you see her. And and I encourage you looking at that on my YouTube channel. It's under the playlist called Radical Healing Applications. I will find that and put it. Well, my blog is in a complete state of disarray, but when I get it back, I will put that on it. But everybody go to YouTube. I hate to say this because we're right up at the end of the show What's the thought you want to leave with our listeners today? No matter how broken you feel, you are not. You are not broken. There is always potential for you to shift your relationship to whatever it is that feels unmanageable in this moment. What a gift of hope. Lisa, thank you so much for being with us today. Uh, We're going to have to have you back and, and continue this dialogue. I'd love to. I'm almost speechless. Um, I just want to say thank you again. Uh, all you listeners, please take a look at this website, Neurosculpting Insti- neurosculptinginstitute.com. This is Irene Conlon with my guest, Lisa Wimberger, saying thank you so much for being with us today and come back next week for more of the Self-Improvement Show. Thank you again for joining Dr. Irene Conlon for The Self-Improvement Show. Please listen again next Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Remember that improvement out there starts in here.